but Gubby Gubby are the traditional custodians of the lands we record this podcast on. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging, as they hold the memories, tradition and culture of this land. We extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Hello, I'm Jeff Fisher. Welcome to Milkshakes for Mali, the podcast that tells the survival stories of blood product recipients. I'm filling in on hosting duties for this week for Kate Fisher. She'll be here in a moment for this week's interview and back next week to her usual hosting duties. This podcast aims to bridge the gap between anonymous Australian blood donors and their recipients. It documents the remarkable lives recipients go on to live and the contributions they make to their communities and the joy they bring to those around them. If you've ever been a blood donor, you could have been the one to save the life of one of the guests we profile here on the Milkshakes for Mali podcast. And becoming a donor in the future means that you could become a part of this story. Milkshakes for Mali is the name of our amazing lifeblood team of donors who were inspired to donate plasma and other blood products after hearing the story of our amazing six-year-old daughter, Mali, who has seronegative, autoimmune encephalitis. For Mali, plasma infusion is life-saving when she relapses and life-preserving for every infusion in between. Today's guest is a fellow local of the Sunshine Coast community in Queensland, and we wanted to do a shout-out at the top of the episode to recognise some of the amazing people of the sunny coast. Since moving to Queensland, we've marvelled at the strength and community spirit from the people in Queensland, be this the spirit in which they support their sporting teams, from kids' weekend sport, right through to the professional athletes, to the strength that we have seen in our local school community. Since we moved up here, Queenslanders have really got behind the Milkshakes for Mali movement. A few months ago, we had a Milkshakes for Mali blood donor party in Caloundra. Those who follow us on social media would have seen our Instagram stories, but we had people from our local school, sporting clubs, and staff from our local performing arts centre all come to donate for Mali. It was so good being able to have our whole family there to show the donors that they don't just keep all blood product recipients like Mali alive, but they also keep families together. That day, the Lifeblood staff at the Blood Bus took the biggest number of donations done in a session since before COVID hit. We were lucky enough to see the bags of blood being labelled and packed into cooler boxes while doing our donations. That blood was then sent to Brisbane for processing and we got a text from Lifeblood later that week to say it had been used at Toowoomba Hospital. At the end of the session, the staff were exhausted and it was such a privilege to share that space with the nurses who were doing incredible life-saving work every day. We've had the constant, unwavering support from local radio station 91.9 CFM, where Barat has now been joined by Jules in doing regular donations, and most importantly, has taught Marla the art of stacking pretty necklaces. You will hear from Jules later in this season, where we interview her for our own donor episode. As a listener of this podcast, you are helping to save the lives of your fellow Australians by helping to spread the message about the importance of blood donation. As always, we ask you to rate, review, subscribe, and share this episode with a friend. You never know when it will be you or someone that you love who is the one that we need life-saving blood products. Now, on with today's episode. We are joined by Adam, a town planner from Coulomb who owns a firm called Urban Kind, which aims to deliver positive impacts for people, places, and our planet. Adam was nominated to us by one of our regular listeners who knew of his unusual need for blood products. And when we researched the work that he does, we knew he was a perfect fit for the show. We love nothing more than showcasing the amazing lives that people go on to live after receiving blood products and the contributions they make to their families, society and their communities. 
so we welcome Adam to the Milkshakes for Mali community as he joins Kate in this week's episode. Hi Adam and welcome to the Milkshakes for Mali podcast. Okay, it's great to join you today. I'm excited about this one. Thank you. Um, I think this is our third or fourth crack at trying to record. We've had illness across both of our families. Thomas broke his leg in three places on one of the days that we were supposed to record. Um, and I know that you're a very busy man. So thank you so much for making no, this that's one. That's so good. It's very important. We so really looking forward it. to it. Um, you're nominated by um, some of our mutual friends, the Lewis clan. So I met your beautiful yes. wife um, when we were at Rosie's birthday party the other day. I don't yes. know a huge amount about what happened, um, but I know that it all started with a childhood broken nose. Can you tell me yep. how that injury happened? Yes. So when I was about three or four, I broke my nose as a child running down with a toy car and face planting. And then that gave me the joy of growing into a adult or adolescent's nose with, with a few issues in terms of my septum and my sinuses and the like. Yeah. And then with a few footy injuries in my teenage years and um, boys will be boys in the uh, playground um, caused a few other challenges to how my nose grew so I always knew when I was turning 18 19 I was ready to go in for rhinoplasty surgery um, basically just dealt with my breathing and giving me that quality of life that I was really struggling with in terms of yeah just normal breathing and colds and flus and all that which I was getting a bit susceptible to sure. so that's where that's where the injury started <laughs> wow so you always knew that the other surgery was coming I bet you didn't realize how serious it would end up being for you um so rhinoplasty is what most people might hear of as a nose job but obviously you yes. have this done for functionality rather than necessarily <laughs> cosmetically but then each to their oh, own no judgment there no, I had a bit of an Owen Wilson kind of nose so <laughs> I had a bit of had a bit of style to it but uh wasn't wasn't functioning how I needed to so. character <laughs> yeah um so you were 19 when you had the surgery done did you say yes yep yeah so, um, so and did they tell you what the surgery would involve yeah, so it was quite intense. So um, don't don't want to get too graphic for your for Oh, for your no, listeners. get graphic. We do all sorts but, of things in this but, podcast. But basically, um, the brief was that we'll put you under the knife, we'll um, lift up the, the skin of your nose, get a chisel out um, and do a bit of um, crafting onto to the nose to straighten out the nasal cavities and, and fix up a few blockages that I was experiencing. Yeah. So I kind of went in there as a young kid that, I hated blood tests. I didn't like needles. Um, so this was like a huge thing for me just yeah. to get it done. And I thought, yep, overnight stay, they, they said, um, in the first instance, you'll have a bit of discomfort and a nice bit of plaster on your nose and yeah. a couple yeah. of weeks recovery. But um, yes, yeah, so I went in and that was kind of um, where where my story started in terms of yeah, sure. where, I, where I'll allude to <laughs> with, with how I ended up with a blood product in the yeah. in this process. So you got to three days post-surgery and you're having some pretty intense symptoms that you hadn't anticipated post-surgery. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. And so basically um, I, I was hallucinating and I didn't have any color in my skin um, and I wasn't recovering or able to keep food down or any water. Mm -hmm. So I was rushed. I was actually staying at my parents' place at the time because they were looking after me because I was down in Melbourne for university. Right. So I didn't trust my housemates to look after me at that, at that age. That was a wise um, choice. <laughs> so I got rushed to 
very wise. I wouldn't trust them with many things, these, these lads, but um, they were <laughs> not good at the time. Um, and, and so I was um, at my parents' place in Bendigo in Victoria at the time. And um, yeah, I, I basically was like, had the worst night. I was having these hallucinations. I, I was having these dreams that um, books were falling on me, like I was in a library, that I was in like a plane that was burning up. I was having really kind of dreams that were alluding to my body was closing down mm -hmm. and I really didn't realize the gravity of it or nor did my parents at the time till I was like I just need to go to hospital and get this sussed out and so when you go to an emergency ward with a broken nose and not feeling great the triage takes a few assumptions on that it's just someone that's just not comfortable post-surgery mm -hmm. so I ended up sitting in the emergency ward for around four hours mm -hmm. at the time and I was about to pull the plug because I was just so uncomfortable yeah. and I was so fatigued from the process and then gratefully got called up um, by the, the doctor. Um, they ran some blood work because they could see that I had no blood in my fingernails. Um, just out of curiosity, they just thought I was just having a bad reaction to the whole process. Mm -hmm. um, and then got an IV drip in just to get the fluids up because I was assuming I was dehydrated. And then that's basically, um, they went, cool. Um, you should be right. Keep an eye on it. And if there's a problem, um, we'll get back to you. So um, I left and then I was driving home and we we're halfway home and the hospital called to say, can you turn the car around immediately? Um, you've got an issue with your blood. Um, you've lost nearly half of um, your blood um, because at the time I was losing it down my throat. Um, it was bleeding internally into my stomach um, and I wasn't aware. I just thought that was just a reaction to the anesthetic and a few other challenges mm. um and then basically um car got turned around and, and I was admitted um at around midnight I remember um and then yeah they were like we've got to get some blood products into you urgently because if you were to have a hemorrhage or a blood nose mm. I've fallen into the risk of that heart attack um mm. or body failure kind of category in which they were calling it and I was just 19 year old. I just was taking this in my stride and it wasn't until later in life I was reflecting how yeah. intense or serious this situation <laughs> was. I kind mm. of blocked it out for many years until I started telling my story. People, are, you give them blood products just to give them a human side that, yeah. you know, it goes to people like myself. So, um, yeah. And then, I, you want me to keep going, Kate? Yeah, keep, keep going. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. And, and, and then... Um, kind of I remember it was really quick and I was admitted into an award and they're like okay we're going to give you two pints of blood and monitor you and then almost within an hour I was like hooked up um, to a blood transfusion and I could just remember it was the strangest feeling because I was used to blood being taken out and I could just feel like this weird sensation going through my arm of kind of like life going back into me and it was almost within four to six hours that I was up to a normal state that it was that rapid from where I was in terms of being compromised with my health to um, where I am uh, receiving these two pints of blood. Um, and fortunately, the, the bleeding and all that had stopped um, and healed itself. So I didn't have any issues in terms of that. That was all checked. But yeah, it was quite a, um, in hindsight, quite a traumatic situation where a standard nose, a rhinoplasty operation, which is a day or two in hospital, um, yeah, it kind of led to a serious um, emergency trip and, yeah, swift action in, into a blood so transfusion. have been life-threatening. And thank God you didn't go home and go to bed if it was at midnight 
you always think about that what can happen overnight if you had have gone to bed and kept bleeding and they hadn't got back to you with those blood test results exactly so two stars aligned um in in that in that incidence and it was probably my stubbornness just knowing something wasn't right yeah but yeah it was um yeah just a very compromising situation in Mm. reflection to be in in a very very vulnerable state where your body can be yeah in this much trauma (laughs) and how intuitive were those dreams as well that your body despite the fact that you had the nausea and the vomiting and the dehydration that your body didn't know how else to tell you that there was something. Yeah, exactly. Right. So you started having dreams like that. That just gave me goosebumps when you. Uh, and and I can't remember. I can barely remember dreams. So yeah. like my, I, I can remember them when I wake up and then I forget them, but these are like clear as day. Wow. Kind of impending because they were that traumatic. And mm-hmm. as, as I've never heard it put like that. It was, yeah, yeah. my body was telling me, um, yeah, You've got a bit of an issue here. Right? Yeah, yeah <laughs> time, absolutely. Time, time, time to sort that out. So. so we have often talked on the podcast before about how important it is to have blood products on hand to for big surgeries. And quite often you don't need them, but if you haven't got the blood products on hand for an emergency situation, you can't proceed with the surgery. Um, but we rarely get to profile blood products being used that far post the actual surgery itself Um, I've written this podcast as a platform for recipients to thank donors and to showcase all of the amazing things that they go on to do with their lives after receiving um, that life-saving blood transfusion and you've gone on to do so many incredible things with your life since that 19 year old boy received those (laughs) blood products Um, so tell me about your life today I know that you're a dad can you tell me about your family life yeah, so very grateful to have a four and six-year-old, Isla and Archie. So they're um, here in Coolum and yeah. beautiful wife, Claire. So yeah. um, we've been up in the Sunshine Coast since about 2017. Mm-hmm. So a bit like your story, Kate, came um, to this community from a place that um, was, yeah, we were from Melbourne. So yeah, right. Yeah, we're, we're, and we've created our own business up here to to kind of get that balance of why we moved up here and yeah. the lifestyle and family and and, yeah, just trying to, make sure yeah we're doing lots of living and happiness in mm. terms of um yeah getting out of the corporate hustle and bustle that we were stuck in for so long yeah, we <laughs> felt home. that so much um moving up from Canberra as well and just I think we've just spent so much more time you know on the beach or in nature or we're just so much more connected yeah to the place around us and Queenslanders are just really beautiful people they're just so chilled out and I've said so many times they just want to get shit done like there's no (laughs) there isn't all the crap around it like there's I don't know they just want to see the best way to get something done and to get it done and you know so big on just helping out fellow people in your community and we've just really really found our happy place up here so I'm so glad to hear you feel the same Um, so your business is called Urban Kind. Um, you're a director of a town planning firm that focuses on people, places and the planet. I'm particularly yep. interested in the Urban Kind Commons Project and your community give back program. Can you tell me a little yes, bit yeah. about those? So my business partner is my wife, Claire. So basically we work together in both professional town planners. And so part of what we instilled and she did as founder in this in this program and in this business was to give back in terms of our professional IP but also our time Mm -hmm. so 
particularly in motherhood in the community, um, was a real one in which Claire was really focused on supporting. So when you move to a new area, sometimes you don't have those clicks of the mother groups or you just don't have that network that was established where you previously lived. And sometimes you just run into people, incidentally, at a cafe or, and it's not really that kind of structure. So the idea came from um, the kindergarten in which our kids go to was to develop a community garden project. So being town planners, we've seen so much great stuff pop up across the community and world. And we had this great plot of land where people just, we know, enjoy gardening and it was a mm -hmm. way for the parents to connect, but also a meeting spot. So it really entrenched itself in that motherhood in the community is the basis of it, but sharing ideas and getting like-minded people together um, to grow. And that's kind of led to the next project, um, which is the community garden at uh, Jack Morgan Park in Coolum, which is a pop-up garden, which is part of hopefully a bigger master plan in the future, um, which has kind of led to an established incorporated not-for-profit group um, forming of many like-minded individuals and families and mums and dads um, and kids from not just Coolum, but Bridgian and the surrounds coming to be part of it. So it's one of those things in which we instill, instead of, a lot of companies, I think, give money like sponsorship, which is fantastic, but mm -hmm. we feel we're better to give our time um, to certain initiatives. So we've kind of founded it in terms of giving our ideas. Mm -hmm. um, and then we just do other projects. We're supporting a, another family that wants to do a bike route um, near the local school. So helping with some advocacy as part of that with the local councillor, because we've got experience in transport planning and sustainable tr uh, travel. So, Amazing. yeah, that's a bit of a nutshell. It's kind of our... Um, where we can, we want to volunteer, but we yeah. thought we better do it in a more of a structured way. And um, yeah, Claire's been fantastic in her leadership yeah. and, and founding that. Um, and yeah, I've had the joy to tag on. Uh, so <laughs> I definitely won't take uh, the credit for, for the, the brains behind that. <laughs> no, but I mean, and it's such a team effort and it's crazy to think we sort of pinpoint those moments in time. Had you not had that midnight phone call, it's that butterfly effect thing. Had you not had exactly. that midnight phone call to say, come back and have the blood products, even had you survived, it could have been with, you know, permanent injury, illness, disability from that yeah. blood loss or organ failure or whatever could have happened, yes, yeah. you know, without those blood products, which meant, you know, you might not have gone on to meet your beautiful wife and have your beautiful kids and be part of the Coolum community in the way that you are now. So it's so exactly. nice to sort of trace it back to that moment and then see what you're able to offer to the community. And, and, and I never looked at blood trans blood products like that at the time. It took yeah. me kind of this was an event that I really suppressed because I just saw it as like an illness and something that happened I didn't really come to terms with the gravity of it mm -hmm. until I reflected of the donor stories that go yep. behind someone like myself and it's probably just um, a bit of just a human instinct of not realizing the significance of how dangerous of a situation I was in for my health and um and it hasn't been easy as well. It's that condition. Like I had a lot more illnesses with glandular fever and a few other things that popped up in that kind of next three or four years and mm -hmm. kind of that immune system really got knocked about. But yeah. then again, if I didn't pick it up, then that could have been a way a lot more uh, catastrophic um, mm -hmm. yep, um, in that. So mm -hmm. yeah, anyone who gives um, any blood product of any form or supports any cause, if they're unable to give us, um, yeah, really appreciated mm -hmm. in my in my world. <laughs> yeah. And we're actually, with this season, we're donating um, donors as well as recipients. Um, and we've got a few people that we're doing episodes with that aren't able to donate blood for various different reasons, but they're doing different advocacy 
to yeah. tell their stories and engage other people to give blood because it's something that they're so passionate about. So there's lots of different ways that people can contribute. And, and that was a bit of um, an encouraging thing for me to speak to you today, Kate, because um, I've only given blood once and mm. I've given, I've been booked in twice, but then I've had situations in which it wasn't ideal to give. Mm. And then I've just found it really challenging personally, just going back into that kind of environment. But mm. I just felt sharing my story. It's always like, I always see the van that pops up um, that you can pop down. So it's, it's always something that this is really encouraging me to get back into that donor mentality as well. So... Yeah, I just wanted to share from my perspective as well. It's in, in pure honesty that, yeah, I was a recipient. I tried to give back. I, I did one load and then, um, yeah, I just found myself in more of that supporting and appreciative of a lot mm. of my friends that, um, you know, get the hundred badge or whatever yeah. <laughs> or ha have their milkshake and cookie motivation right. to, um, to go in once a month or every couple of weeks in which they do. So, yeah. And that's one of the other things that we've talked about that, you know, the statistics change a little bit, but it's roughly one in 30 people that donate blood and yet one in three people will need it. So when people have significant medical events, it's quite often there's that post-traumatic stress response that's attributed to yes. that. Um, and it's really difficult for those people to go back into a medical environment and to donate blood. And we've interviewed lots of parents on the podcast whose children who have, have needed blood products. And their children have been in life-threatening situations. And so to go back into a blood donor centre, even just with the smell of the hand sanitizer and the needles, and to go back into that medical environment is incredibly triggering for them. Um, and I suspect it's very similar for you, even though you felt like an invincible 19-year-old at the time, to realise your own mortality, you know, at that age, even if you didn't want to recognise it at that age, on some level, you know, your body would remember that. So you have that exactly. body response yeah. being back in that environment. And you know, if we could just make it, you know, 10 out of 30 people that go in and donate blood, then hopefully people like you or people like these parents that have such a mental health response to being in a blood donor centre wouldn't have to go and do that. And I wish that more people that were able to donate went and donated, even if it's yep, just I agree. Once. Yeah. And, and and I hope my story just kind of gives an insight. And that's why when I was, was speaking to Vanessa and, and yourself yeah. and got introduced, um, she was like, oh, that sounds pretty interesting. I was like, no, yeah. it doesn't. Like, no, it's totally. I, it's one of those things I was just like, what do you mean that's interesting? I was just kind of, you know, mm. just got a bit of medicine in me nearly, so to yeah. speak. But yeah, the gravity of it is so significant in people in which your families and other families are dealing with daily in this space, you just don't realise how important it is uh, in the blood donor mm. space. So this has been a real good introduction for me to, as well, to yeah, share my story, but get back into um, giving back um, if, I'm, if I'm able to again. So um, yeah, it's a yeah. really great cause you lead here, Kate. Oh, appreciate thank you so it. Much. Thank you. Um, I know that you're really passionate about volunteering your time and expertise to strengthen communities um, and that you encourage other people to do the same. I think if the last few years have taught us anything, it's about the value of our time and our friendships. Um, what drives you to create such inclusive spaces to be used by your local community? Um, for me, I have a real kind of people first mentality, um, but I, I really have concerns that people find themselves kind of like ostracized from society or they did, they just feel like they're not included in certain elements. Mm -hmm. So my, my planning career has taken me from like, developing houses to roads to rails to parks to open space and more recently the last decade in sport and recreation and I've just seen by how much that we can create spaces for the community to enjoy 
that is the way to connect and bring people together in an accessible way. Mm -hmm. I, I just find that we get a bit too locked up in our screens and, and phones and, and own social networks. And particularly as parents now, just being able to go to open space or a community space and just even those incidental contacts. Someone that me is just, I find myself very, um, I get in my kind of clicks a bit too much and I find it's a way to broaden myself and, and speak to people in the community. So I kind of take what I feel innately, but then I also see how important it is for others who need need that in their lives. Um, so yeah, that's been something that kind of drove me to be a town planner um, in the early days as well. It was kind of that community and community give back and kind of what we can do with space and place um, for mm -hmm. people to enjoy. So yeah, and that's kind of, yeah, with the Urban Kind Commons and um, the Give Back program kind of founded as well um, out, of, out of Claire's passion as well, focusing on the motherhood in the community. Yeah. So you guys yeah, make a so, great team. I love it. I love it so much. Yeah, People well, often well, ask we, we me. We try our best. <laughs> <laughs> People ask how Jeff and I have gone working together creating this podcast because, you know, apart from raising our beautiful family, which is such a team effort, this is probably our first professional pursuit that we've done together. Yes. And we adore it. I think there's things that, you know, I've got strengths that Jeff doesn't have. Jeff's definitely got strengths that I don't have. And it's really nice when you can find something that you're both so passionate about and be able to put your professional skills, you know, to attribute to that as well. So it's awesome exactly. seeing a husband and wife team work so beautifully together. And we're very recent as well. So basically, yeah, I was, we were in different professions and Claire founded the business three, four years ago. And um, yeah, just through circumstances, I found myself um, being a bit more active this year. Yeah. And um, yeah, and as you said, with the, the Sunshine Coast community, it just enables us to work but also give back but enjoy mm. um, life a bit more that otherwise we kind of we're just in the rat race cycle yeah. a bit. Um, yeah and I think that's been long. one of the real gifts of COVID I think it forced us to slow down in some ways and just be more present in our homes and with our families and made us I mean definitely for us it made us realize how much we had missed that time and yeah absolutely it's a beautiful thing it's made us really appreciate each other in a different way. No, All right, to round out the episode, do you have a final message for Australian blood donors or anyone who's considering becoming a first-time donor? Uh, I think first is just thank you to those who are passionate and support the cause. And, and just as I'm saying that, I'm, I'm looking, I'm feeling like Instagram stories of friends that go regularly and, and I can just see that connection that gives someone as a recipient does. So whatever gratitude um, you, you feel is out there, it's really strong because it really rings home um, kind of the opportunities that I've had in life through being able to have access to um, the, the support I had at the, at the time because some countries and some communities that potentially wouldn't have been available. So mm, it's place and time and circumstance and, and the kind of the grateful um, area. But yeah, like someone like myself, uh, I need to encourage myself to go out there and give as well. So that's why mm. I want to be quite open and transparent that, um, yeah, it's, it's a really tough one, I think, for uh, recipients as well um, but yeah it's something in which um, yeah if you're able to give and to support or as you said if you can't and find other ways to support the Red Cross and, and other uh, institutes um, yeah just do it in the smallest way possible even if it's a like of their social media or yeah. a share it's yeah keep it simple don't don't feel like you've got to go and yeah, if it's something not for you but there's other mm -hmm. ways to get the next person in line yeah. <laughs> motivated 
Absolutely. That's a beautiful place to cap the episode. Thank you so much for your time. Um, it's been a real joy to have you on the podcast and hopefully we can see you in a donor chair soon. Marley will yeah. come and hold your hand. She can come and help yeah. you through it, I'm sure. I, I, she I, loves I, to I, go I, in I, and hang out with the donors and say thank you for my plasma to everybody. So, yeah. Exactly. Let's, make that, let's make that a deal. That awesome. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> This podcast aims to bridge the gap between anonymous blood donors and their recipients. And we always hope that the donor that saved the life of the guest we profile here each week is listening. We love stories like Adam's because had blood products not been available, he may not have survived. And then he would never have had his family and he wouldn't be volunteering his time to strengthen his local community. Nothing feels more Australian like the modern demonstration of mateship than donating blood or breast milk and this product being used to keep another Australian alive. Our daughter Marley is still alive today because of this incredible selfless gift and it is our privilege to create a space for others to tell their story and give thanks. This podcast is written and presented by Kate Fisher and me, Jeff Fisher. To make an appointment to donate plasma and other blood products in Australia, please call 131495 and we'd love it if you could add your donation to the Milkshake for Mali blood team tally. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of the Milkshakes for Mali podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, review and follow us on social media and share this episode with a friend. And as always, we'll leave the final word to Mali. Thank you for my plasma.